0: I want to commend uh, Isaac back there in the sound booth for bringing the rave music for the greeting time. Very good. He's bringing youthfulness. We'll get that old man going. All right. well, a couple of announcements, but I want to begin with prayer for our president and his wife. So let's, let's pray for the president. Amen. <clears throat> Lord, we do, uh, we do intercede on behalf of our president and the first lady and all who have been infected by this virus across the nation and the world. Lord, your word does command that we pray for kings and those in authority that we would live quiet and peaceful lives in all godliness and reverence. So we intercede on behalf of President Trump and First Lady Melania, and we pray, Lord, for rapid healing, protection, covering. And Lord, we intercede that the decisions that he makes would be such that they would honor you. Lord, in this time of recuperation, speak to him. Lord, we know that our salvation doesn't come on Air Force One, but you do work through fallible men. And we ask that you would move upon his heart, that the beauty of the law is the wise restraints that make men free, and that the elected officials in this nation govern by our consent, and they are required to protect the inalienable rights given to us by you. And so, Lord, I pray that there would be an awakening to that understanding, a nation conceived in liberty, and dedicated the proposition that all men are created equal. That these inalienable rights are not given to us by man, but by you. And it's the purpose of government to protect those. And if they fail to do so, our documents declare that it's our right and our duty. Lord, you've come that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You've come that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Man is not to enslave man. We've been created the image of God, and you want us to experience the fullness of what that means. You've come that we might have life and life more abundant. And so, Lord, please, I pray that you would lift the scourge of slavery and dependence, whether it be on substance or to people, that there would be an awakening and a revival across the land. And so, God, thank you that we come to your throne of grace and we ask this. Spirit of the living God, please cause this to happen. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. You're praying and you got that itch right between your shoulder blades, and you're like, I'll pray and get it while I'm doing it. And then you're thinking, wait, no, the live stream, and then you just do it anyways. You're like, who cares? You know, (laughs) who cares? All right. Um, Another announcement. Pastor Rick did a remarkable job last week, so blessed by, by uh, Rick and Tammy. And uh, Pastor Rick had a great idea, and I have no idea how it's going to be implemented, but that's one of his great gifts. That's why he's here, because he can fix stuff like that. But he suggested that we do a baptism on a Sunday morning. I'm like, okay. And so we're going to do 9, 11, and 1 on October 25th. And I guarantee you it's going to be remarkable. I just don't know how they're going to pull it off, but I'm excited to see how they're going to do it. And, and by the way, you don't have to sign up for the baptism. You just have to bring a change of clothes and, uh, and a change of heart, right? Baptism, for those of you who don't know what it means, it's, it's, a, it's a physical representation of associating yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So the water kind of represents a grave, and what you're what you're doing is you're making a public profession of faith in Christ. You're saying to the world, "Hey, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, who who died, was buried and rose from the grave. And and he died in my place, and he forgave my sins, and I want the world to know I'm following him and I'm I'm publicly declaring that." And you think Sunday morning, you know, it's one thing just to sit next to people and get dressed up, right? But the get all wet and come out dripping and people seeing you and then cameras and yeah, yeah it is. it is it is intense he went to the cross for you despising the shame and really it's your privilege to say I'm not afraid because the God that I have given my life to has not given me a spirit of fear but of power, love and a sound mind Here, right here, you get the front row right there, come on come on <clears throat> Only the coolest haircuts get the front row. Yeah. Did you need someone else to join you? Just let me know when we got this all done. We're good. I was looking for my sister. Where is she? Where? Come on. Let's come on, dear. Let's go. Your front row, splash zone. Can you get him a raincoat? Because I spit when I talk, and I just want to. Come on up. There's three. Yeah, you two. Do you have any other friends? Yeah. I'll do the comedy. Just yeah, yeah. I, I'm good with it. I, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Look at that. I'm going to give a hug too. Come on, bring it in. Welcome. Nice to see you. All right. So, baptism. Um, you guys... I've never done it before, and you're making a public profession of faith. And it's a great way to do it because <clears throat> you, you realize, you know what, I'm, I'm not ashamed to be a Christian. I want the world to know. My wife was baptized publicly. I was baptized publicly, and that's a great gift. And, and once you do that, it, it almost empowers you. I'm just, I'm just not afraid anymore. I want the world to know I'm a follower of Christ. And it also puts you on notice. Most people don't want to make a public profession because they don't want people to know that they're the people that's in front of them, they're kind of a closet Christian. <clears throat> oh, that's not you. I thought maybe you'd giggle, thought it was maybe you, but, <laughs> but when you publicly do it, you, you start realizing I'm, I'm, I'm representing Christ and the things in my life that I was allowing to remain need to go and I, I want the world to know that. They need Jesus, and I want my life to reflect that. So baptism is a, a really wonderful way to do it, and it does take courage. And you got a few weeks to pray about that. <clears throat> my voice is hoarse because I was at the Trump boat parade in the harbor, and I was yelling. So, I was invited to come, and they asked me to speak, and I did, and I yelled a little bit. Um, and, and we're going to be going into the passage here, and it, it's, it's a great segue because I've been studying the passage all week, but the event in the harbor brought this message to a wonderful place in my heart. I was asked to be on the main boat, and I got on the main boat, and on the boat was a candidate for Congress. Uh, his name's Joe Collins, and he's running against Maxine Waters, and he's from Compton. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and he's just a powerhouse of a guy, but he's, he's not super tall, and he's surrounded by guys that are tall and ripped. Um, and I'm six two, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? Yeah, nice to see you. And, and we're on this boat together and traveling around the harbor, and, and they have music playing. And he's Compton, so he's a black American, um, and, and he's saying, well, that's very racist. Okay, I'm just trying to explain. Joe Collins is black. And the people who were with him were black, save for one other person that I remember from his group. And we're on this boat together. He's from Compton. I was born and raised in Coronado. We're both in Ventura on a boat that doesn't belong to us. <clears throat> and then this was the lead boat and the engines gave out. So that was really, I'll talk about that another time. So we're on this boat and they're playing music. And as they play the music, I, I, I'd watch... Joe and, and the folks he came with, they're, they're just into the music and dancing, and, and I'm over there going. <laughs> <sighs> Not working. And bless their heart, and we had a really wonderful conversation. The two of us were talking, uh, a guy named Keith and another guy named Rob. And I said, you know, I'm, 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 Joe's so brave and, and the way he is describing what he's up against. And, and I looked at, at Keith, I looked at, at Rob, and I said, this right here is immutable. I, I, had, I had nothing to do with this. And I, I, I touched his black skin. I said, you had nothing to do with this. It's immutable. God did this. We can't change this but I can change this and you can change that. And I touched his heart, and he did the same to me. And I said, and what Joe's doing is creating that. It's harder for you guys to be out here. I mean, you're, you're beat up on both sides. And these immutable traits that we can't change, but we're watching the human heart change before our very eyes. And I was so blessed by all of them. And they encouraged me, and. I came home, I told Michelle about it, and it was just a lovely day, and I was on a boat with a lot of people I probably wouldn't associate with in a normal given day, meaning, you know, these are folks that are in the harbor most of the time with the captain, the owner of the boat, and I just don't know them, and I just enjoyed meeting people I wouldn't normally spend a lot of time with because there's not a lot of water around here. You got to drive to it, and I don't own a boat. Can't afford it. (laughs) Can we talk about a race? Anyways... (laughs) And 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 then I'll share with you something else that occurred. Um, did any of you last night get a chance to see the premiere of the movie? Did you come see it? Yeah. In the movie, and, and, and I didn't know about this, but Chris Bergard uh, was. I was introduced to him by Tom and Kim Bengard. He's a he's a movie maker, um, and, and him and Nick Ducey they they put this movie together, and it it was um, it was phenomenal. And I didn't know what they were doing. But they'd asked that they could come and film, and we said sure, and it was the day that we were defying uh, the the ordinance, the, the restraining order, and so we were packed. It was busy, I and, and we weren't allowing press in, but I'd given Chris permission to come, and I forgot to tell the security, and Pastor Jerry is like, uh, did you give this guy permission to come in? I'm like, yeah, and he goes, he's got his armed guys with him, and he, he's got his security, and they're all packing. I'm like, what? So I got to Chris, and I go, Chris, do you have security with guys with guns? He goes, no. He goes, oh, oh, yeah, I, I told Pastor Jerry that we wanted to come in and shoot. <laughs> or my guys are ready to shoot or something like that. I'm like, dude, you got to work on the, they did the Wired, Big Day, Antifa. Yeah, you are tracking me? You know, it's, he's like, oh, yeah, I got it. And that was all I knew about Chris. And then they asked later, a couple of weeks later, to interview me for something else. And then he said, hey, we put you in the movie. And I'm like, oh, great. Last night, if you, if you saw it, it was, it was like a large portion of what this church has meant to America. And I was so moved by it. And Micah's back. Yeah. And, and Micah, my son-in-law, I call him a cyborg because he he's emotionless. And, and I'm back in the sound booth with him as they're going through this thing, and we get to the, the crescendo where it's like talking about God speak. And I'm, 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 I'm overwhelmed, I'm like choked up. And I look over at Mike, and he's like, ah. Oh. ah. So you know it's a really good movie if it hit Mike in the fields. I didn't know he had any, but it hit him right in the fields. But in the movie, this is my point, and then we'll get to the text. In the movie, uh, there's a guy named Rick Grinnell, and he was the ambassador. Yeah, amen. All eight of you. He, he, was, he was the ambassador to Germany and also was working with the president uh, with some of the agencies. And um, a lot of you don't know, but uh, he, he was in this movie, but Rick is, by his own admission, a, a, a married homosexual. And I first met Rick... Um, when I was running for the state assembly, and some of you are like, well, what's he, where's he going with this? Where's he going, where's he going with this? And then the other, I just don't know where he's going with it. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you where I'm going with it. I was was trying to get the endorsement, because politics is done by addition and multiplication, not by division and subtraction. And if you wanna run, you know, narrow, you, you won't win, but you'll make a statement. I was running to win. And there wasn't anywhere I wouldn't go, and you often heard me say, people aren't the enemy, they're the opportunity. So I'll go anywhere, anytime to speak to anyone. Not at the compromise of my beliefs, but at the emphasis of my beliefs. And so I was invited to speak to the Log Cabin Republicans. Some of you are going, What are Log Cabin Republicans? It's the homosexual uh, organization of the Republican Party. Some of you are going, Why am I here? <laughs> and I spoke. And I shared with them that my sister, who's a lesbian, had asked me to officiate her wedding. I said, I couldn't. It's against my ecclesiastical orders. I don't believe in that. I can't do it. Created a riff and shared with the whole story of my, my life. And, and they were listening. And at the end, it was a question and answer. And one man says, well, would you officiate that wedding nowadays? Would you do it now? And it was kind of like a gotcha question. And the keynote speaker was speaking after me. His name was Rick Grinnell. I didn't know who he was. This was back in 2014. He said, Well, would, 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 you, would you officiate the wedding now? And they're all looking at me, and Rick steps up and he says, Stop it. I come from an evangelical family. I would never ask my family that question. This is America. You have the freedom of religion, leave them alone. He defended me right on the stage. And I, I looked and I said, wow, you know, I, I, and then over time I started to realize who he was. Now, when we had Rynette Senem on our live stream, I got a couple of emails from some folks saying, I'm going to hell. It, well, if heaven includes you, I don't want to go. <laughs> Meaning the person who wrote the email, not you. I'd, this would be a fun time. I'm looking forward to it. But it was, it was, and they, they had no idea. I, I have a heart for her. Michelle and I went and had breakfast with her. I, I'm moved by her. She's, this, this, of course we have ideological differences. Of course she isn't a believer by her own admission, although I think she's almost there, and if not there already. But my point is, you, you don't define your Christianity by the people you're unwilling to reach. Okay. And if you disagree with that, we can talk later. But the point is this. If you have a problem with it, you're going to have a real problem with the text this morning. Because Peter shouldn't have anything to do with Cornelius, and Cornelius shouldn't have anything to do with Peter. And you'll see it if you have a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 10. If you don't, these folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Just raise your hand They love it when people raise their hands because the pile gets smaller. Yeah. Acts chapter 10. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New Testament, then the book of Acts. And they call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it's probably better to say Acts of the Holy Spirit. You can have two. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to keep that. The very first Bible I owned was one that was given to me at church. I kept it until it was dog-eared. All set? All right, so we're going to pick up at verse 17 uh, as we continue our study through the book of Acts. So if you would stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We stand for the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen, meant, I'll explain that for those of you who are just joining us, I'll I'll put you into context with it, Uh, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, listen to this, listen to this, doubting nothing, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And the reason why God had to say that to Peter is because when he sees who's there, he's going to doubt, and then God needs to say, let me tell you, it's not an angel speaking to you, it's God Almighty, doubt nothing, I'm in charge here. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews. By the way, I just want to describe something to you. Cornelius is a good man, just like many of you in this room. He was a very good man, okay? And by the way, if you hear children crying, we are now Catholic. It's okay. We don't... We, we, we have to invite everybody in as best we can, and, and i am gotten so used to the, the noise of the children, it's actually comforting to me. And if it bothers you, I don't care. <clears throat> <laughs> he was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. It's okay. It's just having a rough day. The following day, they entered Caesarea, and now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And he talked with him, and he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to another's nation. But God had shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, and actually the text says, on this exact, exact hour, four days ago, <clears throat> I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent through the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went by doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to the witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Peter's just getting started on this sermon. He's about ready to bring the close on the sermon like I am. And this is what happens. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. It's like God interrupted his sermon to save the people. Some of you are going, Would you do that now, God, please. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word, and we thank you, God, for your faithfulness to minister to our lives. And even fitting, Lord, I was unaware of the timing of the text and of what Pastor Rick desired to do with the baptisms and how it just ties in. And Lord, even being on the harbor yesterday and being with Joe and watching what's transpiring in the nation and all the tumult and the trials that we face and the divisions and the tribalism. And yet, God, I perceive that God shows no partiality. And Lord, what you did in Acts 10 thousands of years ago, you're doing in America today. And we do pray for an awakening and a revival. For a change of the human heart and those things which are immutable that we had no control over. Lord, that, that's the way you made us. It's the manifold beauty of God. But the immutable side, though it can't be changed, the human heart can. And so God, would you do that work today in our lives? We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> we'll have a seat. Just to give everyone a refresher on where we are in this text, Cornelius is a Roman centurion of the Italian regiment. There's 37 different regiments. He was selected because he's faithful to the Roman Empire and to Caesar. Um, it's a prestigious position. He's on the fringes of the empire. He's there to control um, the those that have been oppressed, uh, those who have been brought to submission under the strength of the empire. And so he's been stationed in Israel. He's got his proverbial knee on the neck of the Jews in that region. And in the process of doing that, he is, he's a Roman. He's a pagan. He's polytheistic. Romans were polytheistic. That means poly meaning many that's where we get the word politics, uh, poly meaning many ticks, meaning blood-sucking virus. So you get politics. That's how you, yeah. Just so you know, that's the linguistics. I'm very studied in this capacity. Mono means one. So the Jews were monotheistic, one God, and the, the Romans were polytheistic. If you look out at it, the night sky at the planets, all of them were named after Roman gods or goddesses, Mars, God of War, Venus, etc. You go down the list. So Cornelius being polytheistic, being stationed in in Jerusalem, observing these Orthodox Jews who are monotheistic. And as he's there, he's witnessing this and he's moved. He's deeply moved by the culture. And it's a culture that wouldn't let him in. Uh, Jews wanted nothing to do with Gentiles. Um, And I I, I like what Barclay wrote. He said, um, it was said... In uh, by, by William Barclay. It was common for a Jewish man to begin the day with a prayer thanking God that he was not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. A basic part of the Jewish religion in the days of the New Testament was an oath that promised that one would never help a Gentile under any circumstances, such as giving directions if they were asked. But It went even as far as refusing to help a Gentile woman at the time of her greatest need when she was giving birth because the result would only be to bring another Gentile into the world. This is Barclay writing it. Don't get upset. But the Gentiles could give as bad as they got from the Jews. Gentiles despised Jews as weird traditionalists and believed that they were evil plotters who worshipped pigs. After all, they thought Jews refused to eat pork, so they must worship pigs. And all this changed with the spread of the gospel. Christianity was the first religion to disregard racial, cultural, or national limitations. And people say, it's a white man's religion. Didn't begin with a white man. Uh, it's, 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 it's Western ideology. Began in the Middle East. Well, it's, it's, it's Nordic. It's 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 centered around authority. It's monotheistic. Their creation story. Yeah, my ancestors Scottish. That they were all pagans, just like anywhere else in the world. We we ate each other. At, yeah, that doesn't work. When Christi, Christianity comes in, it doesn't care about your immutable trait. Changes your heart. It's it's. It's mankind that ruins the word of God and then uses religion as Catholics and Protestants to eviscerate one another, which I'm not only Scottish, I happen to be Irish, which is just, I should honestly be a complete alcoholic right now. <laughs> <clears throat> and and yet, God heals the human heart. He breaks down barriers. And this begins that while Peter... Was perplexed and wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. And as you recall the vision, Peter's the apostle. He's, a, he's an Orthodox Jew by, by background. And he has this dream while he's waiting for lunch in, in, in Joppa. He's, he's up on the roof in Joppa, and the ocean breezes are coming through. And he's hungry. He's waiting for lunch to be prepared. And in this trance, and this is how God speaks to me, that's why I can relate to Peter, he speaks through food, and a dream of food is even better. It's like, oh, 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 oh yeah, wow. And this sheet comes down, and on the sheet are all these animals that are not kosher. They're they're not accepted in the Jewish dietary world. And, of course, a pig is in that picture. I'd be like, oh. A pig's a perfect animal. You feed a pig broccoli, turns it into bacon. You feed a pig anything, it turns it into bacon. It's like meat candy. It's the best there is. I love bacon. Where was I? So Peter is dreaming and he sees these animals and God says, Eat this, you know, kill and eat. And Peter uses two words that don't go together, no Lord. And and God has to tell him three times. But when he spoke to Cornelius the first time, he says, Cornelius, this is what I eat and and, and Cornelius' response was, What do you want me to do, Lord? Peter, the great apostle who walked on water and witnessed miracles for three years and saw Jesus risen from the dead, says, no, Lord. Cornelius, who's never seen God face to face, but has been faithful in his life to the point where the entire community says, this is a really good guy. His his response to God is, what do you want me to do? Peter's is, no, Lord. And so three times, God has to speak to thick-headed Peter. And now he's wondering he still hasn't gotten the message and the text begins by peter perplexed and wondering within himself what the vision had meant he says like i just don't get it why would you eat bacon and he's struggling over this and the men who had been sent from Cornelius had it made inquiries at Simon's house. And it was specific orders from the angel of the Lord. And you're going to see that Simon repeats it verbatim. The men he sent repeated the order verbatim. They completely listened to God. And Peter's up waiting for lunch, perplexed over a vision he's seen three times. And, and while he's there, they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit of the Lord now says to him. God speaks to him personally, and he says... Three men are seeking you. Arise, go down, and go with them. Doubt nothing. I know you, Peter. I've been trying to get through to your thick skull. I've told you this dream three times. You keep saying no. You're going to go down. Those guys are going to be at the door, and I need you to doubt nothing. And if you still doubt, I want you to know it's not an angel. I, God Almighty, have sent them. If that's not enough for you, we're going to have a problem. So Peter went down. He goes to the men who had been sent to him by Cornelius, and he says, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? He sees two men and a soldier. And he's an Orthodox Jew, and he sees these three Gentiles. He's like, whoa, what? And he thinks, doubt nothing, doubt nothing, doubt nothing. God said so. He goes, why are you here? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man... One who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you, and then he invited them in to lodge with him. I love that. You see, Jews don't mingle with Gentiles, and especially Roman soldiers who are oppressing their nation. And, and Gentiles give back the same. I've seen it. It's amazing how we've come up with all kinds of ways to hate one another. Us versus them. The bummer is that when you meet someone personally, you can hate an entire group of people, but when you meet someone personally, you go, wait, they're still bad, but this person's okay. You ever run into that one? And you can't say to their face, well, this is what I believe about everyone <laughs> affiliated with you. Well, in this case, this is so outside of Peter's mindset. And he remembers what God showed him. And he said something fascinating. He says, why don't you come on in? And the, and the word, I just wanted you to see this. He invited them in. We can... See the change in Peter's heart. He invited them in and lodged them. It literally means to entertain as a guest. Peter didn't just coldly give these Gentile visitors a room. He entertained them as welcome guests. And he did this against every custom of the Jewish people of the day. He's like, come on in. Can I get you something to eat? His house is now defiled. And, and everyone in the community is like, what, do you, why are, you, what, what are you doing the idea that God could use a Gentile was a foreign thing to Peter. He couldn't comprehend that. And I, I think we go through life where, you know, our, our mind and our heart gets expanded. And you guys are hearing me talk about Rick Rinnell, and you're hearing me talk about Rynette Senum, and Joe Collins. You probably got an opinion. And your opinion is like your belly button, everybody's got one. They're full of lint. No Orthodox Jew would have invited Gentiles into their house. He would not have sat down at the same table with them. He would not have had fellowship with them. It was forbidden. By entertaining these Gentile guests, Peter went against the customs and traditions of Israel, but not against God's word. And, you know, reverse too. That's one of the reasons why there's anti-Semitism in the world. You, You think Jews hate Gentiles, and you want Gentiles to hate Jews. We'll we'll give them twice as much as they got. And then the world devours itself. And for some reason, even though the Imago Dei created the image of God, your ideology or the way you operate your life somehow justifies me not loving you or having a heart for you and despising you from a distance and writing off your entire lineage. Where is that in the Bible? Interesting thing about Peter is he goes from Joppa to Caesarea. And Joppa is an interesting one. Another Jew had come from Joppa with a solemn message from his God, which he was commissioned to bear far hence to the Gentiles. Jonah the prophet took a ship from Joppa, but he refused obedience to the divine call. You see, God said to Jonah, I need you to leave Joppa and go to Nineveh because there's pagan Gentiles there that need to know me. And he couldn't comprehend ministering to Gentiles. They're not... They eat pork. And he refused to go 500 miles. That he went the opposite direction, 2,600 miles. God had to have him swallowed by a whale. And Peter needs to go 32 miles, not 500 miles... And in this case, he needs three dreams and doubt nothing. And I have called him. He's like, all right, God. Peter's heart's changed and he goes that distance to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Jonah refused and went 2,600 miles in the opposite direction. You're one of those two right now. You'll you'll go to great lengths to avoid people that you have deemed evil. Or you'll go 32 miles in obedience to God to see them change. Because not only will they change, but your heart for them is going to change. Jonah ran from God's call thinking he could get away from the Lord and he did not share God's heart for the lost. Peter was willing to re-examine his traditions, his prejudice in the light of God's word and he shared God's heart for a lost world. Some are more like Peter, some are more like Jonah. Here's Jonah. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And as we know the story, he makes that journey to Tarshish, but a storm hits, and they start to realize there's something wrong here, and that's why they call it a Jonah, which is like a curse. And if we get him off the ship, and Jonah's the one who said, look, I'm the reason why there's a storm. God hates me. He hates me so much that he wants me to mingle with them. I don't want to. And I'm I'm having a little issue with that. They're responsible for the most misery in my life and what they've done to my people. Those people are not worthy. And God's got me in this storm because he wants my attention. If you just throw me overboard, you're gonna be fine because I'm the one causing the problems. And they do and the storm stops and a whale comes up and goes, And swallows him and this is kinda, the, the storm is right where that cloud is. He never quite made it there and you just see this whole thing and the, the whale swallows him, and he's down there, and, and he's just crying out. And here's the, the trippy part. It says he's in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. You put me in the belly of a whale for three minutes. I'm like, I'm done. I, I'll, go, I'll go to Nineveh. Jonah's just like, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to Nineveh. I'm not going to see these people, and I can't breathe. And then, you know, the, the The whale shark's going down into the depths, and his ears are popping, and he just—it's cold, and the stomach acid and it's burning. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. (laughs) And without seeing the sunrise or the sunset, a minute seems—it's completely dark. Have you ever been in darkness? It seems like you're there forever. He was there for three days and three nights. He didn't know what a day and a night was. He's in the depths of the ocean. You guys have dismissed it. And there's stories. You just go on the internet, and there he is in the belly of the beast. He finally just says, "All right." He taps out. I'm, 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 I, God, I'll go. That's how ingrained his hatred is for another group of people. He taps out. But what did it require? Partial digestion. I mean, you just the, the whale just goes. Bleh. Bleh. He's like, and, and I think that's a fair picture, but you can imagine his head partially, you know, digested, his, his hair's missing. He's like, hey, how's it going? He looks like Fire Marshal Bill. Let me tell you something. You need to repent. And, and Jonah goes and, and, he, and he proclaims this this to the, the people of Nineveh, and they repent. And he still struggles. Over. He's the reluctant prophet. He still struggles. He's still complaining to God. It's so ingrained, our hatred. And you say, well, I don't have it. Yeah, we all struggle. You know why? I, listen, I'm not saying that, that racism is systemic. What I am saying is sin is systemic. The human heart is deceitful above all else. And, and to some extent, you're just saying, God, where do you want me to go? And that's why we have to keep reminding ourselves people aren't the enemy, they're the opportunity. And He typically sends you to the people that you just don't want to go talk to. And some of you are, why would He go there? Well, the question is, why aren't you going there? You could have been on the boat without an engine. And, 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 Peter's heart changes. And that's the power of the passage. It's not the conversion of Cornelius as much as it's the change of Peter. And Peter invites him in to lodge with him. And then he, he says, okay, we're out of here. And the next day he goes to Joppa and he brings Jews with him. He says, you got to witness this because this is, this, is, this is something God wants to do. And they enter Caesarea and Cornelius is waiting for them. He's been waiting because he has been true to everything God said. He instructed them completely on what God said. Cornelius is waiting because he knows God's going to do it. And not only that, he's invited his whole family. Somebody who knows the Savior is coming to our home, and he's going to share with us words of life. When the words speak, it's the same word that when God spoke, the heavens were created out of nothing. He spoke the word, and the heavens were created. This man has the words of God. He has the words of life. He speaks, and he says, Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And when he says that, he grabs the arm of the cripple. they walk. This man's coming to our house. And everyone's like, what? And they're all in there waiting for Peter to arrive. His relatives and close friends. And he's made friends all over the community. And he's beloved. And his reputation preceded him. Because he was a good man. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you a little prejudice. Prejudice. The LDS, some of them are here. They're some of the most moral people in our community. They're my friends. There's anything I wouldn't do for them. Their Christology is different than mine, their theology is different than mine. But they are some of the most moral people I've ever met, some of the finest people I've ever met. Matter of fact, when I ran for assembly, evangelical Christians didn't show up. I'm not talking about this church because you guys worked your tail off. I'm talking about when we did the polling and the numbers and we looked at the date afterwards, Christians didn't show up, They just didn't vote. And now you have an assembly member who votes for your progressive sexual education and, and you know, legitimizing pedophilia. Good. We just stayed home. But Mormons showed up. They voted almost 90 percent. They walked precincts, hard. I remember they invited me because they'd labored so much on my behalf. They invited me to go down to the dedication of the School of Mormonism at Claremont University, and I got in the car with <clears throat> four of them. And three of them were high-ranking, and one was kind of a lower-ranking official. And, and I just mean, you know, he, he had a role within the community, but not nearly as significant as the other three. And I got in the vehicle with him, and I was monkey in the middle. I sat down, feet on the hump, you know, driving all the way from here to Claremont in traffic. It was delightful. <laughs> and... Um, and the other three guys i'd gotten to know and you know they 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 knew that this isn't my first rodeo and and you know trying to convert me to the the ideology and the christology they had kind of given up and i you know we just we'd, we'd figured it out and so the guy to my left who has now become a very dear friend he's he didn't realize that i <laughs> i've done this a lot and he's walking me through it and i'm like oh you're stupid <laughs> sweet but just didn't know and he's going through the thing and trying to subtly you know proselytize and the other guys are looking at me like i'm sorry and and he does this and we finally get to claremont and we walk in i'm the only guy in the car not with a tie we get in we're late and there's seats in the front and we're going to hear one of the living apostles speak elder oaks we get to the front Elder Oaks does a message on religious liberty. It was very good. At the end, I'm ready to go home, and Matt Ball, who's in charge of all the western states, really cool guy, he, he points in my direction. I'm next to um, Dave Benson, and he points towards us, and he, he does this. And all these people came forward to meet one of the living apostles, which is very significant to, to somebody from LDS. And he does this to Dave, and I go, Dave, uh, Matt wants you. And he goes, no, no, he wants you. I'm like, yeah, he doesn't want me. He wants you. No, he wants you. I'm the only one not wearing a tie in the entire building. I'm like, he, he doesn't want me. And he does this. He goes, yeah. And Matt goes, Rob. And I start walking up. And all these, uh, you know, LDS are, are moving out of the way. And they're going, who's this guy? And why doesn't he have a tie? <laughs> and and I, and I get up there. And, and I, I'm introduced to Elder Oak. And he says, uh Rob, it's so good to meet you. I've been looking forward to this. And I said, Elder Oaks, candidly, before today, I didn't know who you were. And he says, that's all right. Humble man. He says, I testified before the Mexican Senate because their constitution doesn't allow uh, clergy to hold office. And they wanted to hear from a a church that has a hierarchy as to why. And I testified and I used you as as an example. And he said, it's such an honor to meet you because I was holding office and I'm clergy at the same time. I said, Wow. He goes, yes, it's very inspirational, and thank you. And I said, thank you. And we exchanged some small talk, and it was great. And I come back down, we get in the car to drive back, and it's dead silent on the way back. I'm like, did I do something? Why aren't you guys talking? And the guy who was like, you know, going through the whole theology of Mormonism that I've heard before, and, you know, smiling, I'm, he, he just he's like sitting away from me, just quiet. And I go, are you okay? He goes, you met one of the apostles. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> and and, there there was just an honor there. And so what happened was this, and, it, and it'll make sense in a moment. He meets one of he, they, they're they're stunned by it, and I say to them, "You guys do these ecumenical meetings where you interdenominational, and you want to meet all the people, and you build community, and you're amazing, good people." And you care about the community. And I said, you never get evangelicals to come to those. You get Baha'i faith and you get, you know, Unitarian Universalists and all these other things. And I said, look, um, you know why you don't get evangelicals? And they're like, why? And I said, you don't understand the concept between sanctification and justification. Sanctification is set apart. You guys get that. You're, 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 you're set apart for God's use and, and your vessel's in the hands of a mighty God. I, and I, I said the example of my coffee cup that I'd put on the cinder block wall to tie up a tomato plant. I got distracted. I went inside. I come back out uh, later after the plant has grown and I can't find my coffee cup anywhere and I'm upset with my family. Who took my cup? And then, of course, the season declines and the, the plant dies. And in the fall, I look out and there's my cup on the cinder block wall and I'm like... My bad. And I grabbed the cup. To, I'm so excited, and it's just filled with mold. And I'm telling these, these LDS brothers, I go, look, it's still my favorite cup. It's still the master's cup, but it's unfit for the master's use. I had to clean the inside before I could use it And they're like, oh, yeah. I said, you guys are always clean and fit for the master's use. Christians, we got our get out of hell free card. You know, we, we, we still like to do stuff we shouldn't we're going to hell I mean excuse me we're going to heaven <laughs> that was a joke he didn't get it and I said but what you guys don't understand is justification just as if it, if I never sinned that our righteousness is not based on what we do it's based on what he did and we don't observe the law to be saved we observe the law because we're saved it's not a have to it's a get to and we often don't even want to I said, I'll give you an example of justification how you guys don't get it. I said, there's many bishops in your, your area and one in particular came to me and asked to borrow money. I said, I don't loan money, I give it. Come by, the check's waiting for you. He came by, he was very grateful. He says, I'll pay it back. I said, no, I gave it. He called me again later. He said, I need to borrow some more. And I said, I don't lend it, I'll give it. <laughs> you guys are right now, what's your number? Um, <laughs> and, and, and to his credit, he, he, he gave back every penny of it. And I said, I'm going to ask you a question which is going to answer the reason why you don't know justification. And they're like, what? I said, why didn't he call you? He didn't call you because he knew you'd judge him. And your value is based on your observation of the law. That's how you rise. He knew he could call me because I'm the biggest loser in the city. And he knew that the ground at the foot of the cross was level and I was approachable. I said, could you imagine if the two of us, your sanctification and the evangelicals' justification, it's like wonder twin powers activate. We'd have to work on your Christology and a couple of other things. But that's, and some of you, listen, some of you guys are going, what are you talking about? What are you doing with LDS? And why would they be in our church? Are you, are you one of those liberals? What are you doing talking to Rynette Senham? What are you doing talking good about Rick Grenier? Let's go back to the text. Take it up with Cornelius. Better yet, take it up with Peter. No, better yet, take it up with the Lord. Because I perceive God shows no partiality. He walks in, and he comes to Cornelius' house. And you know what Cornelius does? To a Jew he doesn't understand, and Romans are supposed to hate him. He falls down, and he he gives him honor. He almost worships him. And and Peter says, stand up. I myself am also a man. You don't afford me that, and I'm not to receive it. Which is fascinating, because my Catholic brothers and sisters to this day still kiss the toe of Peter. To the point where it's worn Peter would look at that and go, "Why are you doing this?" Now, my the Catholic brothers and sisters that I know, and and look, you guys are always "Oh just, he's blurring the line. Look, I get it that we we disagree clearly on the Eucharist. And, and I'm not making fun of you. I'm just pointing out that this isn't what Peter would want. And listen, Protestants don't have the corner on the market of figuring this out, but I just know that this is. I'm not making fun the point is we have to work through this and understand one another and it was, it was interesting that when he says to him I also am a man and he talked with him and he went in and found many who had come together and then he said to them you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean I'm stretching here I have the comfort of my orthodoxy, and I'm outside my my box. It's like men when they dance. They just don't want to step out of that area. You know, and then then you're really weird like now, and I'm uncomfortable, and I need to move on. He says, God's shown me this, and I came without objection as soon as I was sent for For what reason have you sent me? And Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa. Call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. He repeats the exact thing the angel told him verbatim. Yes, Lord. Now, therefore, we are present before God to hear all that God has commanded you Tell us what he wants us to know. And Peter opens his mouth and the first thing he says is, in truth, you want to know the truth? You want to know the truth, Cornelius? You're expecting an oracle of God. You want to know the truth, Cornelius? God brought me here to make me realize that there's no partiality with him. We need to begin with me repenting. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. I'm sorry, Cornelius, I ever thought you less than human. And then he goes through this sermon, which is profound, and we can go through it, but I'm limited on time because we're doing communion and I bit off more than I can chew. But he goes through the entire gospel declaring that Jesus was baptized in identification with humanity, that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, that Jesus went about doing good and healing and delivering those oppressed by the devil, that Jesus did this with the power of God, for God was with him. Jesus did these things in the sermon. He speaks of it. Jesus did these things in the presence of eyewitnesses, that Jesus was crucified, that Jesus rose from the dead and was resurrected in the view of many witnesses, and then he commanded his followers in this sermon. Peter says he commanded his followers to preach the message of who he is and what he did, and that Jesus is ordained by God to be judge of the entire world. Jesus is the one foretold by the prophets. He concludes in verse 43 with that declaration, and then he just says this, through whom, excuse me, through, who through this name, whoever believes in him will receive the remission of sins. And while he's still speaking, the Spirit of the Lord falls upon the entirety of the room, some of you right now, you've heard this, and I just want to tell you, you're good people. You're like Cornelius. You're generous. You're thoughtful. You're well, you're, you're well respected in the community. And you find yourself in church, and you wonder, I don't need religion. Then why are you here? Well, someone brought me. Still, why are you here? oh, you thought I meant the church. No, no. Why are you here on this earth? You're a good person, but what what does good have to do with it? And who said what is good? Where's your standard come from? Only God is good. You may be good compared to me, I was, I was talking last with, service with Kirk Cameron, and he's been promising me this pot pie, and we haven't had time, and he hasn't, he made one, but I wasn't there, and he wants to bring it, he says, it'd be the best pot pie you've ever had, I, I found the recipe, it's unbelievable. I'm like, cool, I can't wait, because I love pot pie. <laughs> and now, I'm not even interested in this pot pie. Seriously, I, I've, I've eaten the best pot pie. My wife made one the other night, I don't know where she came up with the recipe, it was phenomenal. I wanted to make it every night. If you have it, I'll make a fortune. I could sell it to you per slice, like $100 per slice. It's amazing. I love this thing. And she does it with this cross. So, I don't even know what to talk about. It. I just, awesome. And I told Kirk, I go, your pie, it's Alpo now. <laughs> the pie is good compared to another standard. What is your standard? Well, God's the standard. You may be a good person. But we're going to breathe our last on this earth and inhale our first in eternity. And even if you don't believe it exists, the Bible says it's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment. We stand before God. And the question is, you're good compared to who or what? Because God's a standard. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and this is the picture of the communion we're about to take, that his death, burial, and resurrection paid the penalty For our sin. That as the water cleanses us, so does the blood of Christ cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The last portion of Peter's sermon says, through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Forgiveness, cleansing. You're taking off the slave block of sin and you're given a new life in Christ. You don't don't have to name all of the planets after the, the things that, that enslave you and call them gods or goddesses. That's what the Romans did. They said, I, I, I struggle with alcohol, so it obviously has a power over me, so let's just call it the god Bacchus. I struggle with pornography, and, and I have no way of beating it, so, so I might as well, let, let's, just, let, let's just call Venus a goddess. I'm an angry person, and I like to fight, so let's just call that Mars, And God says, no, I'm the God above all gods. I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I've come to set the captives free. Nothing is going to possess you. I'm going to pull you off the slave block of sin. I'm going to pay the penalty by my blood shed. You can't die. I can't die because our blood pumps with sin. And it's affected our heart. And God won't change the color of our skin, but he will reach in and change the condition of our heart. And he'll, he'll make a Cornelius love Peter, and Peter love Cornelius. And you say, well, I want a sign from God. There's no sign but the sign of Jodah. You can fight. You can be in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. You can be frustrated. You can be prejudiced. You can, you can be obstinate. You can be hateful. But God will win, and you will be partially digested. But when you tap out, he'll spit you up. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords and the great God mighty and awesome who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. We often think God sees color. He only sees the heart. God does not see economic status. He only sees the heart. He doesn't see nationality or ethnic group. He only sees the heart. And this is what Isaiah said. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. And deep darkness, the people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And this is the final thing. We should also see that Cornelius was an undoubtedly good man, yet he needed Jesus. Even good people who are respectful towards God still need to come to Jesus as their Lord and Savior and put all their trust in who Jesus is and what he did for them. I will close with a story as we take communion. My mom and dad didn't know the Lord growing up and I was reminded of the story and I met the most remarkable young lady. She's a quarter Filipino and I was sitting in a house talking to her and my wife and I were captivated by her. Just it's just stunning, brilliant, just and it made me think of a story and I don't even know if it related to her but it it, it made me think about my dad and and I don't know if it related their family but it related me to my dad and my mom and dad didn't know the Lord but as I thought about the story I told them again I didn't really think it related but it made me think about my dad, my mom it was 1975 and my dad had had three tours of Vietnam and he, he was warped it had hit him and it's hard to be a son to a man that's struggling. It was Memorial Day and we got in the car and we drove to Camp Pendleton. We get out and Marine Marines salute him. We drive in and there's all these tents as far as the eye can see. And I, I don't know what we're doing there and my dad's hard to understand. We get out of the car and The Marines salute. There's tables out there, kind of like you see all the candidates out there, and they've got all these card boxes. And my dad says a man's name or something else I don't remember, but the Marines find the card, and they point him in the direction of this city of tents. And we begin to walk, and the smells and the sights and the sounds are unlike anything I've ever heard. I didn't understand what language they were speaking. I didn't understand the smells and the sounds. And I knew these were Vietnamese, and I didn't... A lot of them, some were... You could just see hurt, sadness, depression. We got to the tent, and a man comes out, my dad calls him Major Nguyen. He says, Captain, I've recently married. He says, Well, bring her out. And Mrs. Nguyen comes out and she doesn't speak any English. The Major did. My my dad said, This is our family now. And the Major got in the front seat with my dad, and I got in the back seat with Mrs. Nguyen, and she didn't speak any English. We were doing sign language, and she she had a lovely smile, so we hit it off. And we be, I'd be the one to take her to work and try to explain, you know. And we got home, and uh, my mom and dad had remodeled the kitchen. And my mom was a meticulous housekeeper. You heard the story, but others haven't. It's fitting. And they had remodeled the kitchen, new carpet. Mrs. Nguyen was frying fish. My mother hated the smell of fried food, especially fish. I thought, my mother's going to kill this woman. (laughs) And then it catches fire, and Mrs. Nguyen kicks it into the carpet, because, you know, that's how you do in a rural village, I assume. You kick it into the dirt. She kicks it into the carpet, and the carpet catches fire, and we put it out. And I'm like, i got to call 911. And back in 75, it's like, you know, it's like, no, no, no. (laughs) Old school, baby. And I'm thinking, somebody's going to die. You need to come over. I didn't do that. But I, I just took my mom aside. And she was, she was comforting her. She was loving on her. She'd helped her find the pots and pans and everything. And Mrs. Nguyen was just distraught. And, there were, and my mother, she didn't speak any English. And my mother didn't speak Vietnamese. And my mother thought she spoke Vietnamese because the translation for my mother was, all you need to do is talk slowly and loudly. That's, that's how you That's how you translate. And so Mrs. Nguyen thinks she's yelling at her, you just need to, you know, and it's, that's my mother, it's, it's, that's, I, it's just odd that way, my, this woman is just distraught, and, and finally everything calms down, and, and I turn to my mom, I go, mom, why didn't you get angry? And she said, Rob, they've lost their country, we can replace carpet, They didn't know the Lord. I don't remember ever reading a Bible with my parents. I don't don't ever remember praying with them. I know they struggled, I know they drank too much. I I, I know they had problems. I know my mother's father was so bad she never even wanted me to utter his name. I know my grandmother on my mother's side died when she was 17. I know she had a hard life. I know there's some trippy things going on up there. I know my dad loved her for 50 something years. They were good people. They brought people into their home from a country that was responsible for their friends dying in. They're good people. And they realized they needed Jesus. Just like Cornelius. Good people need the Lord. And he's available to you right now. Take the cup that's on their seat, please. That cup that you're holding is one of the most symbolic pictures of Christendom the world has ever known. What you hold in your hand on the bottom section is a a cracker that represents as Jesus on the night he was to be betrayed. At the Passover, which is, I can go through a whole story on this, but it's a picture of Christ. He just said, This is my body broken for you. Because when you break a body, you break the skin, the blood pours out. And you, you see it in football, you see it in boxing, you see it, and blood pours out when you break the skin. And he said, This is my body broken for you. Because blood must be shed for the remission of sins. So that bread is his body. As he was. Scourged with a cat of nine tails and his hands were pierced on the cross and the blood of his body poured out, the blood that was not tainted with sin, his heart wasn't poisoned like ours. And as every drop poured out of his body, he said, to telestai. In the Greek, it means it is finished. It's kind of what you see at the bottom when you pay your last mortgage payments as paid in full. Most of us haven't seen that. But the Lord says to you today, as you hold this cup in your hand, He says to you, I, I, it's paid in full, do you want it? There's no partiality. I'll take you as you are. I'll change you from the inside out. I won't change this, but I'm gonna change this. And all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. And if that's your heart, the Spirit of the Lord falls. He can do far more than any sermon I'll ever preach. You know right now that you've given your life to him. You know it. And so as we play the song, this is how you declare it. It's just one of these great joys. You're ingesting the truth. You're just saying, Lord, thank you. Your body was broken for me. Your blood was shed for me. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm a new creature in Christ. Change me, oh God do the bread first because the body had to be broken. You do the cup second because the blood was shed after the body was broken. If you screw up the order, you're still going to heaven. You'll take it at your leisure. The worship team's going to play. You spend some time with the Lord. Let the spirit of the Lord fall upon you. Speak to your heart. And as he's ministering to you and he's showing you the Corneliuses of your life or the Peter's of your life, you let him tell you what he wants and you just obey. But just take that and say thank you and enjoy the communion presence of God. Amen? Lord, thank you for this day and we commit this to you. You say in regards to communion as often as we do this, we do this in remembrance of you. You, the Savior of the world whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, who died and was buried and was resurrected, who overcame the law of sin and death by the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And so, Spirit of living God, would you Put an exclamation point on all this and speak to every heart present. Reveal to us the Cornelius's of our lives and the Peter's of our lives that we would say, God, take it all. Change my heart. Thank you, Lord, for this time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen.